Hanukon. 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 You're listening to Hanukon Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Hanukon Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Paige Willett. This episode discusses how to combat habitual stress from the pandemic, the history of the Oklahoma land runs, and how to teach a dog commands in Potawatomi. Approximately six months since the pandemic's onset in the United States, many people are experiencing exhaustion in this time of heightened tensions, including fears of uncertainty, added responsibilities, or adjusting to more time alone. The added anxiety can result in a lack of motivation or positivity. However, Citizen Potawatomi Nation Behavioral Health Department psychologist Shannon Beach finds thinking ahead helps replenish spirits. I, you know, I, I think a lot of people, when they look at it and say this is a temporary norm, that gives hope. Well, that, that's just a, a, the look, look toward the future, you know, that kind of idea that we can keep trudging through this and eventually we'll come out on the other side. And I think if we all band together and you know, wear our masks, then we'll get there just that much quicker. Accomplishing day-to-day tasks has become difficult for many, not to mention tasks requiring long-term attention. The constant flood of information regarding the coronavirus can cause people to become overwhelmed, frustrated, and irritated, but Beach says those feelings are normal. I, I think that uh, a lot of this is pretty similar for a lot of people and that you know, we've done so much and that you know, it just kind of seems you know, repetitive and old. Um, it's definitely not, you know, we definitely do need to, to take all of our precautions. Um, yeah, now just as much, if not more as in the past, because, you know, I think as people get more accustomed to it, you know, it's easier to become more lackadaisical. Beach recommends keeping the big picture in mind to overcome those hurdles while adhering to guidelines from medical and civic leaders. Working with, uh, with native people, you know, I think you know, there's a lot more community in general than you know, typical Western culture. So, you know, people do have that idea of we need to do things that are best for the community and do things that are best for everybody's safety. It's not just about me. So I think people are willing to do these things, but same time, that doesn't mean that you can't get irritated or frustrated or stressed or things like that. So it certainly puts a lot more work on the individual. And that, you know, that extra work always leads to stress. In recent months, Beach has noticed a shift in anxiety focused first on the virus and sickness to its consequences now, such as quarantine, uncertainty, life management, and more. During a recent Hanukkah interview, Beach said people mainly feel cooped up and long to return to life and one another. He suggests finding solace in shared experiences and recognizing unpleasant emotions as a logical outcome of the circumstances. When we do that, when we do commiserate with each other about the problems that we've had, you know, we can oftentimes find solutions, you know, find ways to navigate these waters. You know, we're not going to fix this today, but we can address where we are today and how we get to that next place. 
While many lost jobs in the last few months, others began working harder than ever before. According to Beach, creating healthy limits, feeds mental stability, and self-care comes first. We certainly need to have boundaries sometimes. Um, I, you know, we live in a country where it's kind of considered honorable to just work and work and work and not consider yourself. Finding things to be grateful for, even small ones, is also a healthy habit. Beach puts this idea into action with his morning cup of coffee. It keeps him grounded and the taste and smell provide a bright start to each day. I'm thankful for it and I can express that and when I think about that, it, it can be helpful. Not just with coffee though, I mean, we want to express gratitude to other people and that's definitely going to help boost mood whenever we really focus on that and focus what we're truly, truly thankful for. While that sometimes seems impossible, it is important to remember new experiences resulting in tangible change often bring anxiety and require time for adjustments. Beach encourages everyone to remember the novelty of the situation. We get to be who we are through practice and we don't have any practice with this. You know, this kind of thing hasn't been present since, you know, the, you know what, Eight, uh, 1918, yeah, uh, which people don't have the practice to live in this kind of way so much. So the, there is a lot more stress, stress because we're all kind of sailing uncharted waters. And of course, Beach always recommends counseling. Citizen Potawatomi Nation Behavioral Health Services is available at 405-214-5101. Reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Or text CONNECT to 741-741. They're also reached online at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. In the late 1800s, the United States government hosted several land runs in present-day Oklahoma to settle what it deemed unassigned lands after dividing Native American treaty reservations into allotments and purchasing the supposed surplus. The government had forcibly relocated some tribes only decades earlier, including citizen Potawatomi Nation members. September 22nd is the 129th anniversary of the land run of 1891. It opened much of what is now Pottawatomie County to settlers, including lands of the Iowa, Shawnee, Sac and Fox, and citizen Pottawatomie tribes. CPN Cultural Heritage Center Director Dr. Kelly Mosteller sat down with Hanukkah Podcast to highlight the Native history of the land runs of Oklahoma that often remains undiscussed. It was absolutely something that was forced upon us. Um, after we had been subjected to the Dawes Act in 1887, it begins in 1887, but really the, the allotting of lands takes a while. There's, it's, there's many steps to the process. So once the land had been allotted and there was a good idea of how much quote unquote surplus land is going to be available, this is when we were approached by the government and they informed us that the, the method by which they were going to make available these surplus lands was a land run. The land run as a, 
process was not, you know, supported by everyone. I think uh, there were people on the other side of it who sort of foresaw some of the disasters that could happen by sort of having a free-for-all. So this was very much supported by your boomers like David Payne and others who, quite frankly, had been illegally moving on to and claiming native lands for a while and this was just giving them a more legal method to do that. So we were informed earlier in 1891 that our reservation would be opened by land run and what that meant for us was that any lands that had not been allotted was going to have this new classification of surplus lands. And they were also going to be surveyed and carved out into 160 acre plots for opening to non-natives who would come in under the Homestead Act. You know, that was sort of the legal framework that they were going to use. And the Homestead Act basically said that if you move on to a plot of land and you take care of it and improve it over five years, at the end of that five years, the title is yours. Um, so there, there was a precedent for this idea of people moving in and taking land without having to pay for it and eventually becoming the title holder to that land. So that, that was a precedent that was set. The, the, the concept of moving non-natives in and letting them sort of seize land and call it their own was an older one, but the method of the land run was something fairly new. It was as chaotic as one could imagine human nature comes into it. There's greed, land greed made people the worst of human nature come out. So you had fights, you had people shooting each other, you had Sooners who were sneaking in and taking the plots of land, you know, and, and cheating. And so really the land run process, while I think some argue that it was the most fair, ended up being quite disastrous on the ground and led to a lot of chaos and violence and discontent and arguing about what whether it was done fairly. And of course, there's here's us, the, the Potawatomi standing on the sidelines, just sort of unable to stop it from happening. You know, we're just watching over half of our reservation disappear into non-native hands in one afternoon and there's nothing we can do about it. You use the term surplus land, which makes it sound like it was just sitting there and nobody else wanted it. And there were several tribes involved whose lands came to have that term. Yes, surplus is very misleading because if you want to take it all the way back, it wasn't surplus land when it was the range land of the Comanche and the Kiowa and the Caddo and the other communities who had been living on and around the central plains of Oklahoma for centuries. It wasn't surplus then. It certainly wasn't surplus whenever we were removed to Indian Territory and the citizen Potawatomi purchased the land on that reservation and were promised that it would be ours forever and always and we legally purchased it. It was not surplus for the Potawatomi who were forced into allotment under the Dawes Act and we did not have the option of keeping the lands that weren't allotted to living members at that moment for future generations. So we for sure did not think of it as surplus land. We may have understood that it was 
presently unsettled land or that it was land that we in that moment weren't using in a way that our Indian agent or others who were moving in thought it should be used. It was, it may not have been under cultivation. It may not have been fenced off. There may not have been a home on it, but that does not mean that we did not understand that this is ours by treaty and by purchase. And we very much thought of it as our land. It was outsiders who came in and put that legal status and that title upon it and cut us out of that process. How has the land run continued to affect land today for tribes and for specifically CPN? You know, the land run is something that was both sudden and stark in that half the reservation disappeared in one afternoon and it is something that has lingered and just continues to come back to haunt us you know <laughs> that's the it sounds a little dramatic when I say it that way but it really is because now decades and decades later you've had lawsuits over land you've had this question of tribal jurisdiction on our former reservation boundaries where we they may have taken the title to the to that land away from us and it may be in the hands of individuals or maybe under the jurisdiction of say a municipality but it still falls within our, within our former reservation boundaries. So we still have some tribal jurisdiction to these lands. It has cost the tribe a great deal of money buying back our former reservation lands one acre at a time. The land run and the stripping of tribes of not only the control of those lands, but the questions around the jurisdictional boundaries has been ongoing for decades now. And, you know, as someone I can say personally growing up in Oklahoma and having to sit through the way the land runs are taught in school and being asked to wear my Indian clothes and show up and watch as my classmates run out on the playground and claim their plot of the playground in the land run reenactment, it just, does such a disservice to the very real and very complicated histories around the land run for Native peoples who still live in Oklahoma. Why do you think that's so important for people to know both sides of the history was something like the land run? The curriculum that has been built up around the land run and the curriculum that has been built up around Thanksgiving are very similar in my mind in that we have decided that students can only handle a very one-dimensional understanding of American history. You absolutely are leaving out the other side of that story of it wasn't an empty open wilderness. People have been living here for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years. And all of these narratives that we build up about conquest and about being pioneers and making it and striving in a new land has was always being done at the expense of someone else's sovereignty on that land. So I, I think that there are people who are truly proud and excited of the uniqueness of Oklahoma's history and the way this land was settled. It really does speak to that, that pioneer narrative 
and it, and it highlights these things that these individuals think what is what makes us quintessentially American. But I think when you try to do it without complicating that history and making it more three-dimensional and flushing it out and putting in all of the complicated stories and all of the, the people who were on the other end of these pioneering efforts, you are doing a disservice because we can love our country and we can be proud of our country only when we truly understand what happened in the United States and how our history played out. What do you wish that people knew about the land run that you find again and again, they just do not? So many people, I think, only know about the land run that they saw in movies and they they probably have seen photographs of which was the 1889 land run of the quote-unquote unassigned lands again i will argue those may have been federally unassigned lands but they were the homelands of tribes so you know they think of the, the that land run as the one that helped to found guthrie in oklahoma city and they they really think it was just this one big grand event and it was this open land you know if you've ever seen the movie far and away it's just acre upon acre of rolling hills and no one's there and and that really was not the reality for most of the land runs the land runs were both lands where tribes were not assigned and then they were like our situation some of them were absolutely they weren't just running on on acre after acre mile after mile of open lands, they were having to checkerboard through these settlements of all of these tribal people who had been there for 20 plus years at that point. There are not a lot of truly uncomplicated happy stories that come out of the land run. For more information on the history of citizen Potawatomi Nation land and tribal sovereignty, visit PotawatomiHeritage.com. Speaking with and teaching a dog commands in Potawatomi, such as Gushkejden for lay down, Goshnen for stop, and Bojoa for shake, offers a fun way to learn the language with simple phrases, especially for beginners. Beyond Shoda! Keep the bin! Mama P! Higby descendant Reagan Marcy began teaching her dog, Blue, Potawatomi commands at 9 or 10 months old. Marcy enjoys learning different languages and now works for the Citizen Potawatomi Nation Language Department as a language aide. I started teaching her the commands before I started working here. Um, so when I, when I first got her, I would talk to her, like I'd call her like, mm, Pinojes, like my baby, and Donis, my daughter. <laughs> um, you know, I would always like, I'd be like, don't come, like, calm down, because she was just super high energy dog. She's a pit bull and um, boxer mix, we think. And so, super high energy for sure. She never taught Potawatomi to the other dogs she owned. However, she finds Blue very receptive to learning a new language along with her. Practicing with her dog allowed Marcy to use simple vocabulary with no judgment. When I talk with 
people that do know the language, my confidence just goes and I completely forget everything that I know. And so they're a good starting place and they're like, they're gentle teachers for sure. They teach me a lot more than I teach them, that I will say, 110%. Here are some basic words and phrases ideal for everyday use. Number one is good job. And it means like, good job, you, technically. Um, number two is bagayaji we snowin. Bagayaji we snowin. And that means a snack or like what I use it for is for a treat. And so if I ask her, I'm like, bagayaji we snowin ne? Like, do you want a treat? Or treat question mark? Uh, number three is bojoa, bojoa, which means shake hands, shake hands. Number four is ganech ashtuk, ganech ashtuk, and that means like, it literally means your next hand, <laughs> like give me your other hand. Um, number five is jeep tebin, jeep tebin, and that means sit down. Number six is beyond shoulder. Beyond shoulder, and that means come here. Beyond shoulder. Number seven is geshkeshnen. Geshkeshnen. That means lay down. <laughs> I have to use this with her sometimes. She gets really, really excited. So, number eight is dokum. Dokum. And that means be peaceful or calm down. I use this one a lot. Uh, <laughs> number nine is gashnen. Gashnin, and that means stop. Um, number 10 is Cho. Aha, that's what I've got. Marcy also gave some tips and tricks to teaching a dog commands in Potawatomi, most importantly, forming a special bond as a foundation for learning. I just knew that no one else was going to know what I was saying, and no one else was going to know what I was commanding her and that she would only listen to me and she would like look to me for like the commands. Um, and you know, she's still a kid. She's only 14 in human years, you know? So <laughs> she's just, she's still really rambunctious and I'm still teaching her every day, you know? Marcy stressed positive reinforcement using treats and attention as opposed to yelling or physical punishment. A lot of the times if you sharpen your tone and you let them know they're in trouble and you like have them sit and lay down and stay, it's like then they're like, oh no, what do I do, you know? Um, because dogs don't want to do bad, they want to do good. So you can just like work with that, you know? Adding structure to periods of learning signals to dogs when it's time to focus and pay attention. And what I've noticed is that a dog that is full of energy is not going to be receptive to learning that well. So you kind of have to work with them for a while. She keeps treats in her pocket while she lets Blue run around on her family's acreage. After Blue tires herself out, Marcy works on simple commands with her, offering a treat for good behavior. I, I first start with simple commands. So um, she's off running. I'll be like, beyond Shoda, you know, come here. And she'll hear me and she'll come to me 
and I'll be like, Jeep the bin. And she, she knows that command. Offering a visual cue to go with the vocabulary, such as a hand up for stop and a specific tone with each command aids the learning process. For the best chance at success, Marcy recommended patience and spending plenty of time with furry friends. Honestly, I think there's been a bit of a stigma with dogs thinking like old dogs can't learn new tricks, you know. I, I would say it couldn't be farther from the truth, you know. Um, as long as you have a good connection with your dog, if you are treating your dog properly, your dog is going to be receptive to learning. And you know, sometimes it takes time. However, most dogs quickly pick it up. Reminders about the importance of using the language in everyday life can quell any apprehensions about teaching them Potawatomi. Just go for it. Your dogs are, your dogs understand tone. Um, usually they're going to understand what you're asking them to do. They're pretty smart. Find CPN Language Department resources at PotawatomiDictionary.com, cpn.news backslash language, and on YouTube at cpn.news backslash YouTube. For this month's learning language segment, Reagan now takes us around her family farm and shares some of the words and phrases she uses every day. All right, so after I get my coffee in the morning, I make sure that the animals get their whopping we snowing, and then I start my day. Uh, on number one, Gitagao Gamuk. Gitagao Gamuk, farm. Number two is Bageji Wisnuin Gishkea. Bageji Wisnuin Gishkea. And that means I grow a little bit of food. Number three is Nui Baba Momgo. Nui Baba Momgo. I'll ride around horseback. Number four is Nui Babam Se Nki. Nui Babam Se Nki. I'll walk around my land. Number five is Wawan. Wawan. That means eggs. Number six is Bidi. Bidi means chicken. Number seven is Namosh. Namosh. And that means dog. Number eight is mamakshi, mamakshi, and that means donkey. Number nine is naktosha, naktosha, and that means horse. For more information and opportunities with language, including self-paced classes, visit cpn.news backslash language. You can find an online dictionary at potawatomidictionary.com, as well as videos on YouTube. There are also Potawatomi courses on the language learning app, Memorize. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find what you listen to. We're also on Facebook at Citizen Potawatomi Nation and on Twitter at C underscore P underscore N. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Until next time, I'm Paige Willett. Miigwech nikanek, bamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later.